Right, we ask that you would be in our midst. Lord, we know that you've promised to be present in your word and in the breaking of bread. So, Heavenly Father, we ask that we would see you in both. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the things that I um, tell our young parishioners as they're going through First Communion classes is a saying that comes from the Jews. The Jews say this about themselves, and this, that's this saying. As much as the Jews have held the Passover, the Passover has held the Jews. Let me say that again. As much as the Jews have held the Passover, the Passover has held the Jews. And the study guide that I'm using makes the point that, you know, we don't know who the Amalekites are anymore. We don't carpool with the Amorites. But the Jews are still here. And it goes on to say part of the reason for that is because of the Passover, if not the chief reason for that. Well, today is Maundy Thursday. And can anyone tell me what the word Maundy means? Somebody got it. Oh, gold star for the wife. Still counts, I guess, right? Commandment, right. Commandment. A new commandment. It comes from the Latin um, uh, that we get the English derivative, mandate, right? Mandate. So Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you. We're talking tonight about two things. Number one, a washing. And number two, a meal. But they only make sense when they're taken together. Uh, in tonight's appointed readings, we hear mostly about the meal, the Passover. But it's not just any meal. It's a symbolic meal. It's a meal ordered by God himself. And Jesus takes that meal of the Hebrews and makes it truly the Lord's Supper. The meal is transformed our Old Testament reading tells us about an earlier time that God saved his people, the Hebrew people. And at that time, he was saving them from the Egyptian slave masters. That meal involved a lamb, blood, and a meal. So I invite you to turn with me to Exodus. If you have your Bibles or look at it, it's printed in your bulletin. At least selections of it. Exodus chapter 12 verse 3 we read tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house a lamb for a household and if the household is too small for a lamb then he is and his nearest neighbor shall take according to their number of persons according to what you can eat and shall make your count for the lamb. Continues on. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. What's the purpose of this lamb, and why does God want his people to kill it? When we look at the book of Exodus, 
from chapter 1 and 2, we see what's going on with God's people, that the Hebrews have been enslaved with the Egyptians, by the Egyptians. They've been enslaved for some 400 years, and they're used as manual labor. So they're building the pyramids, maybe. They're certainly building the cities, we're told in Scripture. And this effort is compounded by the fact that the Egyptians try to really carry out a genocide on the Hebrew people. So if you continue there in the beginning of the book of Exodus, we hear that despite being enslaved, the Hebrews are prospering, right? They're, they're prospering even in slavery in Egypt because they're God's blessed people. And Pharaoh orders the midwives to kill the babies as they're born and then just to throw the babies into the Nile after they're born. Of course, you know the story of Moses being put into the reed basket in the Nile. That's the time we're talking about. And I'm sure that many of the Hebrews were asking, where are you, God? Are you unaware of what's going on? Are we not your chosen people anymore? If you look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, which you don't have in front of you, I'll read it to you, we get a very solid answer. The Lord himself says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out into a land that is broad, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you, that is Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh just lets him go. Right? No. <laughs> no. Pharaoh doesn't let them go, right? For the next chapters, from chapter 7 through chapter 11, the plagues afflict, God afflicts the Egyptians with the plagues. The Niles turn to blood. He sends frogs, gnats, flies. There's the death of livestock. The people are afflicted with boils, hail, locusts, and darkness for three days. And finally, finally Pharaoh and Egypt are given one more chance. We look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, to the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. 
Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. Bless me also. So the final plague, the death of the firstborn, is sent upon the Egyptians. And it takes that drastic a measure to get them to let God's people go. In tonight's Old Testament passage, we read about how the Israelites were saved by that action. That's the context for what's going on in the first lesson. Their firstborn were not numbered with the Egyptians, and yet their protection cost something, didn't it? What did it cost? The death of the lamb. The death of the unblemished lamb who had lived with them for 14 days. Think about that for a moment. Something that they interacted with, fed, cared for. After 14 days to have its throat slit. What imagery was God saying to his people? Well, because the Egyptians were wicked taskmasters, we understand perhaps why God could visit such a slaughter on them. Even the slaves, as God's chosen people, could not escape the death sentence, however, if you pay attention to the scripture. Even the Hebrews themselves were not going to escape the death sentence given to the firstborn. So what's God teaching us and them with that? You see, what I think and others think is that the firstborn of the Hebrews also deserved death. Not because they were taskmasters, but because they were human beings with sin. Because they were a people whose fallenness deserved death, which of course we see echoes of in St. Paul's letter to the Romans. The wages of sin are death. How do I know this? Well, Exodus scholar Philip Ryken puts it this way. He says, What God did to the Egyptians was no surprise. But what may seem surprising is the way he treated his people, Israel. Like the Egyptians, the Israelites were under a sentence of death. The same night that God brought death to every house in Egypt, he also visited the home of every Israelite with the purpose of killing their firstborn sons. How do we know that? Just look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. It reads this way. For I will pass through the land of Egypt, says the Lord, that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And then verse 23. 
For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel of the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. You see, the destroyer was coming to their house too. And but for the intervention of God himself with the lamb, the destroyer would have entered the house of the Hebrews as well. It's not just a a signal. It's not like the angel of death needed some uh, uh, signal on the door to not come in. It was teaching God's people something. That the wages of sin are death. And that you, as an oppressed people, as an enslaved, enslaved people, are just as guilty as the Egyptians. Your oppression and slavery doesn't give you any special standing with God. It doesn't somehow take away the fact that your sin stands before you. And it doesn't do just to compare our sins with other people. Each gets his own just desert, his own just reward. And short of the intervention of God himself, we all stand not only accused, but sentenced. I think this is so the Israelites wouldn't forget that even as captives, even as those people oppressed and persecuted, they were in dire need of God for their very lives. But God miraculously gives them a way to escape death. Out of his love, he provides for them a testimony to them with this lamb, this sacrificial system. And he provides a testimony to the Egyptians too. It's to teach them the cost of their life and the cost of their freedom. The cost is that lamb per family. And it's in the blood of the lamb that hides us from our deserved death. It's in the meat of the lamb that feeds them for their journey. Do you see that? It's in the blood that they're hidden from death, from the destroyer. It's in the meat of the lamb that they're fed for their journey, for their exodus out through the Red Sea and eventually to the promised land. Now, as we look at the Last Supper, we see that Jesus institutes this with his disciples. And they would have been recalling this tradition. For as much as the Jews keep the Passover, the Passover keeps the Jews. And they too would have seen that. They would have had this playing in their mind as part of their identity of thousands of years old tradition. We look at today's gospel passage, Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour had came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What's that mean? What's that mean? As Jesus is reclining there at table with them for the Passover, look at that phrase again. It will not, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Until it's fulfilled. 
He's setting up their expectation. He's saying, that's part of the story, but that will be fulfilled. And they would have been asking themselves, what can he possibly mean? Of course, he's told them. And as we ask that question, we can go to the church fathers. One of the people that I often go to is St. Cyril of Alexandria, who says this. He says, A lamb of the flock does not sanctify those who are in Christ. Rather, Christ sanctifies us. He was made a holy sacrifice for us. And of course, as we look down at Luke 22, Verse 19, there's the familiar words to us. And he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the cup they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Where is the blood coming from now? The blood comes from Jesus Christ himself. Where does the meal come from? The meal comes from Jesus Christ himself. Don't let the familiarity of those words be robbed of their meaning. This is my body. What? Given for you. This is my blood. To do what with? Poured out for you, says Jesus. Like the Hebrews of old, in fact, Through them, God has given all mankind a way out of sin and death. No matter what kind of values we have in our life, whatever kind of life we've led without God's intervention, we all stand like the Hebrews, rightly accursed and condemned, rather accused and condemned. Speaking of Jesus Christ, St. Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus and his disciples will leave this supper and go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he'll be betrayed, arrested, beaten, and sacrificed for us, and entombed to be raised again. It is in the blood of Jesus the Lamb that we are hidden from death. It is in Jesus the Lamb that we are fed for our journey. As much as the Jews have held the Passover, the Passover has held the Jews. As much as Christ's followers have held the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper has held Christ's followers. Friends, it is our identity. It is our life. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.